0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today.
1: Good morning, South Valley. We thought we would do something special for Thanksgiving week. We know that everybody is uh, just at home, and uh, hopefully everybody has enjoyed a time uh, with family and loved ones, eating too much turkey, but we thought we would uh, come from our home to your home uh, while you were watching online this week. So I wanted to start off worshiping together. We want to share some songs with you that uh, just praise God, and I wanted to root it in this Psalm, Psalm 717, that says, I will give thanks to the Lord because he is right and good. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So as we come into this time, just let these songs flow over you. Sing along with us and let's worship God together. Yes. After Thanksgiving, and as we reflected on the whole week, just trying to remember the goodness of our God and how his provision never fails. And through all things, we should be people of thanks. So we started with uh, the Psalm 717 that said, I will give thanks to the Lord because he is right and good. It's really where we are going to leave our hearts this morning as we conclude in worship with the goodness of God. from our home to your home. We pray that this morning you find the presence of the Lord dwelling among you and speaks to your heart and reminds you of how good He is and how much He loves you. Let's go to the Lord right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for being a God who loves us, for being a God who is good all the time, Lord. We pray that this morning we would find again in our hearts things that we could be thankful for, Lord. Let your peace dwell in our hearts, Lord. Let your joy overflow, Lord. And just pray that as we've had an opportunity just to reflect on the words of these songs that give you praise, Lord, they would work in a way that would just allow us to draw close to you, Lord, allow your presence to be with us, Lord, and remind us, that you are a God of great and mighty things. No matter what the circumstances are, Lord, you work through all things. You always provide. You're a God who loves and cares and works on our behalf in always. So, Lord, we give you thanks. Let us have gratitude in our hearts, Lord, that we'd have an opportunity to, again, just be with you, Lord. Have you work. Pray for every heart maybe there's a heart here that's just tuning in for the first time hearing about you, Lord. Pray that you would speak to those hearts, Lord, that may be from you, maybe not even know you, Lord. That you would draw your spirit into their lives, Lord, and reveal yourself to them, Lord, in a way that would help them understand how much they are loved by you and how precious they are in your sight, Lord. And Ultimately, come to want to know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord. So we thank you for this time, Lord, we look forward to how you're going to reveal yourself through your word, Lord. We give you all praise and honor and glory and thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Hey, what's going on, South Valley? I know what you're thinking. Marcus, you look a lot different. Well, I can tell you that's because I'm, I'm not Marcus. Um, I'm actually filling in for Marcus doing announcements today because he and his wife have just welcomed into this world a beautiful baby girl, and we are so excited for them. We're excited for their family, and we are giving them some time off to just go be a family together, to go enjoy this new little girl. And so hopefully you don't mind myself, last week John, us filling in for Marcus while he gets to spend some time with his wife and his new baby girl, and uh, we're just excited for that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about because you're brand new to South Valley, you don't know who Marcus is anyway, that's also totally fine. We are so excited that you're here with us today. And we just want to let you know that we want to connect with you. We, we want to find if there is any way that we can be serving you we're praying for you. We would love to be doing that. So do us a favor. If you're new to uh, experiencing church with South Valley Community Church, we'll have a little banner that shows you a link that you can go do to connect with us. It's just at svcclemore.org slash connect. Just real quick form, fill that out, send it over to us, and we would love to connect with you. We've got a few announcements for you this morning that we wanted to share. So December 5th at 8 30 a.m. If you are a Christmas person which we all are who isn't now if you're a Decorating person like if that's your thing your house is already decked out for Christmas You're ready to go even if it's not but you got the plans. You know what you're gonna do listen We want your help come out December 5th 8 30 a.m. We're gonna decorate the whole worship center It's going to be our Christmas decoration extravaganza. Come out, give us some help, and we're going to make this place look crazy. So uh, come do that. We'd appreciate your help. The next day, December 6th, we're getting ready for Baptism Sunday. And we're so excited. We've already got some people who have signed up who are excited to take their step uh, in their relationship with Jesus through the waters of baptism. That's going to happen at our 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. services. And if you're interested in that, well, there are a ton of ways that you can sign up. You can go to the Church Center app if you're already on there and click Next Steps. It's going to take you to a page where you can sign up for baptism, fill out all your info there. I'll actually be the one to follow up with you and get you all the information you need. You can also go to our website at svcclemore.org and click on Next Steps, and you can fill out uh, the form right there for baptism, and I'll still get signed up, or uh, I'll follow up with you, and we can get all that ready to go for you so that you can get baptized and take your next steps with Jesus. Or if you just have questions about baptism, fill that out, and I'll I'll get back to you, and I'll answer any questions that I can for you. Later that day on December 6th, 1 p.m., we have our 101 class. Now this, for some, is an introductory introductory to Christianity. Uh, for others, this is what we're all about at South Valley. So if you're just wanting to explore what South Valley is, why we operate the way we operate, if you're wanting to explore who Jesus is and how you can have a relationship with him, if you're interested in pursuing membership with South Valley, all of these things are encompassed in this 101 class. We're going to do it December 6th at 1 p.m. on Zoom. We're going to do a virtual class, condense this three-hour class down to about one hour because nobody wants to be on Zoom that long. I get it. You get it. We won't keep you on Zoom that long. So if you're interested in that class, same thing. You can go on our app. You can go to Next Steps, fill out the membership form, do it on our website, or you can go to Events on the Church Center app and register for 101 right from there. Take the class from the comfort of your home and I'll actually be teaching that too. So I look forward to seeing you there and we hope that you have a wonderful Sunday South Valley and we're praying for you and we love you.
2: Hello, South Valley. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you had a blessed Thanksgiving celebration with your family. Several weeks ago we began uh, looking at the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. Looking at how grand, how big, how magnificent is God. The people of Haggai's day needed to be reminded just how awesome, how big, how grand their God is. Haggai uses the term Lord of Hosts like 14 times in his two-chapter book. The term is used sometimes to refer to God being the Lord of Hosts in reference to the angelic host. Sometimes that term for God is used in reference to being the Lord of Hosts of the armies of Israel. It is even used in reference to him being the Lord of Hosts and referring to all of the heavens, the starry hosts, the universe. It just speaks of the grandeur, the greatness. Can we just say it this way? The bigness of our God. God created everything, and God will one day culminate everything, bring it all to a conclusion. And so we said he is the Lord of hosts, and he is the Lord of heaven and earth. But secondly, as we move through our study, he's not only the Lord of heavens, but he's also the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. And we're going to begin in verse 3 of chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. And then in verse 6 he talks about the harvest. Look at this. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but you don't have enough. You drink but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Now some of you can identify with that last statement, can't you? He earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. What a crazy word picture. Put your money in your pocket and it drops out of the hole in the bottom of your pocket. That's what happened. Here's what has happened to the people of Haggai's day. Let me just give you a brief, brief history. Decades before this, better than 70 years, They had been carried away, the people of Jude had been carried away into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And of course they began to cry out to God and have mercy on us, throw off the yoke of our oppressors and those kinds of things. But God had promised them 70 years of captivity, one year for every Sabbath year that they didn't leave the ground to lie fallow in other words they were to let the land rest from harvesting it and planting and all of those things and they didn't do that they didn't obey god and god kept his word and sent them into captivity so 70 years has expired and now god has brought them back to their land and he's given them the things they need and commissioned them to rebuild the temple now years before this nehemiah had come in and rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. It is now a fortified city. But now they're commissioned to come in and rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar decades before had destroyed. And so here they are, but rather than going to work for God, they kind of went to work for themselves. They lived for self and self alone, and they soon just forgot or at least put on the back of their minds what they actually were brought out of captivity to do. And God says, all right, consider your ways. You're so much, but you bring in very little. I mean, their neglect had actually brought on economic disaster. There was inflation. Look at verse 6. You earn wages to put in a bag with holes. There was very little productivity. Look at verse 9, the first part of verse 9. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. I mean, you were expecting a lot, and you, and you got a little. And even though what you brought home, I saw to it that it didn't last. I just blew upon it, and, and it didn't. I didn't want it to last. And in verse 10, it says, Therefore, the heavens above you... Withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. Now, listen, remember this, folks. The Lord of hosts is also the Lord of heaven and earth, and consequently, he is also the Lord of the harvest, isn't he? God says, I'm going to minimize the harvest. Why? why? Why is this? Well, look at look at verse 9, the latter part of verse 9. Why? God said, I'll tell you why I'm going to do it. Because of my house that is in ruins, and while every one of you runs to his own house. Why is there a recession in the land? Why is there depression? Why is there so little productivity? What caused the drought? God did it. The Lord of hosts was behind it all, and it's and it's listen, it's all linked to their priority of worship. Look at verse eleven. For I called for a drought on the land, and the mountains, and the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and on whatever the ground brings forth, on men, on livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. The same idea is addressed in chapter 2, verse 17. Look at this verse. I struck you with blight, and mildew, and hail in all the labor of your hands, yet you did not turn to me says the Lord here's the point again the underlying reason for the difficulty they were experiencing is directly linked to their relationship with and obedience to the Lord of hosts the Lord Almighty now is there a modern parallel in what I'm saying right now think about this folks Haggai isn't what God has said It's what God is saying. Now, we could study this passage of Scripture and legitimately apply this to what is wrong with our beloved America. I mean, our once good and great nation has long since turned its back on the God our founding fathers worshipped. Like you, my love and concern for this nation is real. But I'll be very honest with you my greatest concern the greatest concern in my heart is the condition of the people who call Jesus Lord God's people folks I know too many Christians whose lives are in a drought right now I've, I've spoken to them and the last seven eight months when we as we've been going through this pandemic the conversations I've had with a number of people there are a lot of people whose lives, though they belong to Jesus are in a drought right now. They are producing little or no lasting fruit for the kingdom of God. Their joy, their testimony has shriveled on the vine. Their hope and their confidence in the Lord Almighty has been eaten by the pestilence of fear and the uncertainty of the future. I've spoken to believers who've allowed all kinds of sin to seep into their homes and lives and have become just a barren wasteland where the living water of the Holy Spirit has been quenched and dried up. They've allowed their circumstances to rob them of joy. Many Many of God's children today, I am convinced, are where David was when he wouldn't come clean about his sin with Bathsheba if you don't, aren't familiar with that story, you need to check that out. David was, was home at a time when kings go forth to battle. He was a king. He should have gone. But he stayed home, and in the evening, it says, he was laying on his couch. He gets up, looks out the, the window, sees a beautiful woman, brings her in. Adultery, the whole, the whole sordid story is there in the Scriptures. And David hoped to get away with that. He tried to bury it. He tried to hope it would go away. And as he looks back on that time of failure in his life, he sounds like a lot of believers today. He said, when I kept silence about that, about my sin with Bathsheba is what he's saying. When I kept silence about it, my bones, they grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, he says of the Lord, your hand was heavy on me. And here it is. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. You see, when you live, (coughs) when you live with unconfessed sin, when you know what you're doing is wrong, it begins to quench the spirit. And the zeal, the vitality of serving Jesus begins to go away. I've heard of far too many so-called Christian homes where there's absolutely no evidence found of of a Christ-like spirit between a husband and a wife like the people of God of Haggai's day that he's addressing, far too many of Jesus' people are living for their own pleasure and convenience while Jesus' church is just struggling to keep its doors open. Instead of a love for Jesus and his church that he died to redeem, many of his people have turned rather to criticism and cynicism, and that's being used to damage the bride right in front of a perverse and wicked generation who sees Christians as no different from themselves in the way that they're living out their lives. Folks, listen, those things ought not to be. Most of us don't find ourselves in a spiritual drought because we don't know what to do. We are drying up spiritually because we refuse to do what we already know. Like the church in Ephesus, uh, in Revelation chapter 2, many believers have lost their first love. Oh, they can be passionately patriotic about their nation and all the while be pathetically apathetic in their love for and obedience to the Lord of hosts who saved them. Just like the people of Haggai's day, God had blessed them with deliverance from captivity and in turn, they had forsaken the priority and the purpose that God had brought them out of captivity for. And that was worship obedience build this, build this temple my house lies in ruins and everybody runs off and does their own thing and folks like it was in Haggai's days just as his people then people now, we, we get off course with what we are truly to be about and God in his fathomless love for us listen carefully his love for us he will allow our joy and our zeal for him and his kingdom kingdom, to just sort of dry up. He doesn't want you to be filled with encouragement and zest and vitality, and all the while neglect the priority for which he brought you out of the bondage of slavery. He expects you to obey, to do what he says. And listen, folks, this should not discourage us. It should serve as a warning to our hearts to do as Haggai says twice consider your ways God in essence said through the prophet until you get your priorities right and do what I've commissioned you to do I'll see to it that you won't prosper you'll be putting your money into a bank account that just filters it out and dissipates I will see to it the productivity and all of those things goes away There's a great illustration of this that I wanna borrow from the the New Testament uh, out of John 21. Now, in in John 21, the context is is this is the the third time that Jesus has showed himself to his disciples after his resurrection. There was that 40-day stretch from the resurrection to the ascension, and during those times, Jesus would show himself to his disciples. He had done so on a couple of occasions, but the time would get you know, kind of far in between. And at some point, Peter just kind of gave up on it. He said, you know what, I'm going fishing. And the Greek text simply implies, I'm going to go back to my old life. I'm just going to go back and start fishing. He knew he had denied the Lord. He's already discouraged about that. And he says, you know what, I'm just going to go fishing. And then it says, and all the disciples said they were going to go with him. And so they go back out, and, and they've been fishing all night. And they didn't catch any fish. This was one of those uh, kind of a deja vu experiences. But keep in mind that when Jesus first called uh, Peter and James and John and the disciples some three years earlier, in Luke chapter 5, they'd been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. Jesus comes on the scene and said, hey, try again. And they tried again and their net was so full of fish, Luke says, that it started to rip their nets and then Jesus comes over and tells them, Look, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And there is their, their call, their commission to follow Jesus. And it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. And now, just prior to Jesus' third appearance to his disciples, after his resurrection, once again... They're fishing, and the same thing happens that had happened some three years earlier when Jesus called and commissioned them to become fishers of men. So Jesus, in John 21, Jesus calls to them from the shore, and he says, hey, have you you caught anything? And they said, no. And then Jesus tells them this in in verse 6 of John 21. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now why couldn't these seasoned fishermen even catch one fish? I'm gonna tell you why, because God saw to it that they weren't going to catch anything. I know that God was doing that because later on the Lord then commands them and they started working under his command and, and according to his word and there were so many fish in the net they could barely get it back to shore. Now here's the principle of the harvest. Let's just kind of take that that story, that picture, and apply it. Here's the principle of the harvest. When we go about doing things our own way instead of living consistently with what God has said, we will experience a drought in our souls. To borrow from that story out of John, we will not have any fish in our net. We'll come up empty. Our joy will dissipate over time. You want to get your joy back? You're going to have to, you're going to, have to do what David did. Now, when, when David was going through all that whole Bathsheba thing, that whole sordid mess, and he refused to complain about it, he said, my vitality, my zeal, was dried like the drought of summer. But if you go to Psalm 51, after David was confronted about it, he hid it as long as he could. God sent the prophet Nathan to tell David, God knows what you did. And then David began to come clean. He began to come clean. And Psalm 51 is a record of that. It is actually has the heading, if you look in your Bible, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we know exactly what the context of this psalm is. Listen to this. Verse 6, David says, Behold, he's in a prayer to, prayer to God, you desire truth, in the inward parts. says, Lord, you know, I've been deceiving myself. I've been hoping to keep this whole sordid mess quiet. You want me to come clean and be honest. Lord, you desire truth from the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquities. Created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And he goes, then, I will teach transgressors your ways, and then sinners shall be converted to you. In other words, David is just simply saying, look, I will become fruitful again once I've come clean and admitted. My priorities, my my life has gotten off course. You see what David is doing in Psalm 51? David is considering his ways. He's considering what he's done, and he's getting it right in Haggai one seven, thus says the Lord of hosts and he's saying it to his people who live more for their comfort and more for their convenience than they did for his glory he is saying consider your ways you see he's the Lord of the harvest and oh how we need him oh we need to come to him and just yield our hearts and our lives to him but not only is he the Lord of heavens He's going to shake everything up. Not only is He the Lord of the harvest, He's the one who causes us to prosper or to dry up. But thirdly, and this is so important, understand this, He's also the Lord of history. In other words, He's got everything under control. How big is God? He is the Lord Almighty. He is the Lord Sabaoth. Folks, He is the Lord of history. Look at chapter 2. Verse six. For thus says the Lord of Hosts: Once more, it is a little while, and I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to me. They shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory. Says the Lord of Hosts: The silver is mine, and the gold is mine. Says the Lord of Hosts. Now, what is it? What is the desire? Of all nations in my Bible the word desire all and nations those three words are all capitalized because some feel that this is a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and I could understand why we might think that because uh, it, if you're looking at all all the nations desiring Jesus but you have to go all the way to the thousand-year reign of Christ to find that all the nations of the world are desiring him. But that that interpretation doesn't seem to fit here in the context of Haggai. Uh, folks, first of all, Jesus has never been the desire of all nations. All nations, let's face it, they generally reject him and will continue to do so all the way through the Antichrist's reign. I believe what is being said here is is that the things all nations desire are going to come to my house. He says, I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The New American Standard Bible says they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I believe that's a great interpretation of that. What do all nations desire? Wealth. They desire wealth. Listen. Listen. Folks, what God is saying is, I have a plan, and whether the nations want to cooperate or not, my plan is going to be fulfilled. My house is going to be built, and the desired thing of all nations is going to come because the silver is mine and the gold is mine. They don't get to keep it. The treasures of the unjust are laid up for the just. God says, Look, I will provide. I'm the Lord of history. Listen, folks, God's work is never stopped because of a lack of resources. It may be hindered because of a lack of faith with God's people or a lack of of sacrifice, but never a lack of resources. Folks, the same God who took that little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 is the same God who can take the gold and the silver from anywhere on the planet and assign it to his purpose. He is the God of history. And he says, look, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine. It all belongs to God, and God will give it to his people when his people get right with him, and his people trust him. He says, you'll have the resources you need to build this temple. These things are mine. Listen, there's no bankruptcy in heaven, right? There's no recession in heaven. There's there's no depression in heaven. There's no drought in heaven. God's then up there in heaven, pacing back and forth, saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to finance the building of that temple? There's no panic in heaven, right? The only plans. The UN may meet in an emergency session, but listen, the holy triune God has yet to meet in an emergency session over anything that's happened on this planet. God knows what he's doing. And folks, this world is his. This is our Father's world. And the answer to this world, listen, does not lie in in a political system, does it? He's the Lord of heavens. He's the great God. He's the Lord of the harvest. But he's also the Lord of history. And someday, he is going to enthrone his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the holy hill of Zion. Listen, everything is happening as God planned. He chooses to include us in that plan. And when we obey him, that plan comes to fruition much sooner. God wants to do something in Haggai's people. But they become concerned about their own world, their own comfort, their own convenience. And so God says, I've got to get your attention. And he allows things to dry up. Look at verse 9 again. In, in chapter 2, verse 9, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, listen, if you compare the temple they were told to build to the previous temple, the temple that Solomon built, it was going to be like a shack in comparison. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 6 and read through about 1 Kings chapter 10, just in those verses, I counted 35 references to gold. Solomon's, the, the temple that Solomon built... It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was legendary for its opulence. Gold was in such abundance that silver was sort of treated like we do a copper penny. It, it, we don't even hardly stoop over and pick one up off the ground when we pass it on the sidewalk. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 21. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. God, listen, God says this to to the people of Haggai's day. You're looking at this temple and you're saying this is nothing like what it used to be. And you know what happened? The people got discouraged. They stopped, listen, this whole progress or this excuse this process of building the temple it's 16 years old when Haggai begins to preach this message they started off they laid the foundation and the bible tells us that when they got the foundation laid that you could hear the shouts of jubilation all around the land mixed in with the sound of of people crying be, because they remember the days of what the temple once looked like, and the people of Haggai's day, they become they become disheartened because they we're building this. This is a lot of work, but it's going to be nothing like it used to be. And what what began to happen is they just begin to kind of give up on it. Listen, God says, "Look, I've got the resources to make this temple what I want it to be." Listen, it wasn't the gold. That made Solomon's temple glorious. It was my presence in that. And he says, look, the glory of this temple shall be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, the silver, the gold belongs to God. And the Lord of hosts. And interestingly, in verse 9, it's the only verse in Haggai where the Lord of hosts is, is mentioned twice. It's his way of giving encouragement to people. He's saying, look, I'm in charge of history. I'm not concerned about what all the gold and all the ivory and all the silver that that Solomon had. That's all mine. And it's still mine today. And I can get it from any resource available. All the nations. They desire wealth. I'll take everything they desire and I'll bring it here for my glory. Your priority is to build it. You let me take care of filling it with my glory. And folks, let let me just bring this home. And Solomon's reign, Solomon's Solomon reign was a reign of peace. He was not a man of war. He didn't know war the way his father did. And God is reminding them, look, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. I'll take care of the resources and understand this. Peace will come to this place. Just like in Solomon's day, I'm the God who will bring peace. You know what that makes me think of? Makes me think of the Lord Jesus Christ. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He's the Prince of Peace. He says in verse 9, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Folks, you and I need to put our trust in the God of history. Both past history and and I'm going to say it this way, future history, because what God has said will come to pass, folks. And there is coming a golden age, because God is the God of history, and it's in his hands. And someday, Lord, Lord the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact going to walk into a temple in Jerusalem, and his glory is going to fill that temple, and then truly all the nations will desire him. That will happen. And maybe there's a twofold application in that verse. But in Haggai's day, they were despondent and discouraged because it wasn't what it once was. And so they just began to neglect it. After 16 years, work on the temple stopped and they became more consumed about their own comfort, their own convenience, their own lives, their own homes, and so forth. Let me just bring this to an end. If he is the Lord Sabaoth, He's the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord Almighty. What should our response be? Well, we should first of all just know this. There is no rival with our God. He's big. He's great. He has no rival. There can be no rebuttal. Don't argue with him. Don't try to rationalize the sin in your life. Behold, Lord, you desire truth from the inward parts. And there can be no refusal. Don't refuse Him. Some of you today listening to this may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today you need to turn to Him. He is God. And there's no rival. There's no rebuttal. And there should be no refusal. Submit your life to Him. Here's the good part. He loves you. And He sent His Son to die for you. How big is God? Folks, He's big enough to rule the mighty universe. He rules over the harvest. He's the ruler of His story, history. And yet He's small enough to live in our hearts. So I encourage you to trust Him today. God bless you.